You know what that means. At least I hope you you know what that means. If you're new to this, if you're new to me filling in for JP, I do a little segment I like to call Hot Take Friday when I'm in on Fridays. And so we will do that. It's pretty. It, it's, it's honestly self-explanatory. It's just you calling in at 216-474-0092, and you give me your hot the, the takes that you think are your hottest on an assortment of topics. Just no political conspiracy theories. Not that type of station. We don't want to hear them. But we will do that coming up at 9 o'clock, two hours from now. Uh, we'll keep explaining the rules to you. I have a couple written down. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if this is my best week for hot takes. I, I have some notable ones. I have some that I think will be okay. I don't know if I'm going to like really rev a lot of people's engines tonight, get a lot of people fired up. I don't know if James. I don't know if any of these are going to warrant James Bridges calling in to see uh, if he can argue with me about him. But we'll see. We'll see what Jax has. We'll see what Mackenzie has. We'll see what you has. But that's at nine o'clock. At eight o'clock, we'll touch base with my good friend John Doss from News Channel Five. Well, uh, I, he I, when I texted him about coming on, and this will be one of the assortment of things that I will ask him about. But when I when I texted him about coming on. His response to me was, can I have 30 minutes to talk strictly about Donovan Mitchell? I said, I don't know if I can give you 30 minutes, uh, but we'll see what we can do in terms of making the most of the segment about Donovan Mitchell. So, or, I'm sorry, I comp- not Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. He is ready to basically go scorched earth on Darius Garland after last night's game, and I guess just what he's seen from him this season. So, again, I don't know if I can give him a full 30 minutes. But we'll see what we can do in terms of giving him some time to get whatever it is off his chest about Donovan Mitchell. I keep saying Donovan Mitchell, about Darius Garland. And I also want to ask him a couple of Browns questions as well because there's some pressing matters that uh, we need to attend to and talk about as the offseason. You know, obviously, free agency doesn't officially open until March 13th. But I think the uh, unofficial start of the offseason really is next Tuesday in Indianapolis. That's where it really begins because Tuesday is the combine. It's bumping elbows with the the GMs and the, the coaches and everybody who's in Indy and it's getting a lay of the land and it's, it's where all the rumors start swirling about who's going to get traded and who's going to go here and who's going to go there. And that's what we're looking at as we approach the combine next week. It's a situation where the Browns start figuring out what this team's going to look like moving forward. Now, today was a monumental day for Cleveland. I don't mean like the city of Cleveland where you, I hope none of you are like looking around or like checking your phones like, what did I miss today? What happened in the city of Cleveland? It's not so much that. It is a monumental day for the Browns, I should say. Cleveland's football team. Because the cap ballooning by $30 million to $255 million for, for next year. I mean, that's, that's huge. That is huge for everything that the Cleveland Browns want to try to do and, and get done this offseason. That matters. You guys were talking about T. Higgins, which I know James Rapine was on and, and from, from Cincinnati, um, for, or from all Bengals, the SI website, and he said it's, it's unlikely T. Higgins hits the open market. But my point in bringing up T. Higgins is you guys are dreaming big on find the receiver that, that works, that, that you want, your favorite one on the market that could maybe be coming to Cleveland. 
Well, that's more like that, that's that's more of a possibility with the cap going soaring as high as it did. Truly. $255 million with the $30 million that the Browns rolled over. They're only slotted to be about seven, six to seven million over their cap space for the for for twenty twenty four, which is just massive. Jump pulling that down from about twenty million over the cap to about six to seven million over the cap. They're going to have so much more flexibility to do things. And the biggest thing that this allows the Browns to do, as we've talked about a number of times, and and as I want to get back into here, is it allows the Browns to eat potentially, the $63 million that Deshaun Watson is owed this upcoming season on his contract. I shouldn't even say owed because most of that money, I mean, he's going to see the money anyway, but most of that money was paid ahead of time due to signing bonuses and all these different things. So it's not that he's, he, he, he hasn't been paid the money. It's more so just for bookkeeping purposes, $63 million of the $230 million guaranteed in the contract that he signed is set to be ripped off the books if they so choose this upcoming season. And that number seems asinine because it is. It is quite literally the largest cap hit figure for a single player in 2024. Like across the NFL, largest number belongs to Deshaun Watson. But if the Browns can eat some of that contract now, while they still wait to see if 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 this whole deal with Deshaun Watson ends up being worth it in the long run, and whether or not Watson is is who they thought he was, and all these different things. If he can, if he makes, if he proves, or if they if they can finally get an answer to that question, then yeah, all this kind of comes out in the wash, and the deal ends up being worth it anyway. But the, as much money as they can clear now without kicking it down the road, because let's face it, the 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 end goal here was supposed to be all right. It's a five year deal, but. Where the, the, their hope was, we're going to tack five years, five more years on to the end of it, and extend this thing out, give him an opportunity to to play here for a decade and be our franchise quarterback. That was kind of the the hope when they 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 traded for him and, and signed the the contract that they signed. So with that in mind, to this point, we haven't seen enough of Deshaun to say, yeah, he's going to warn an, an, a five year extension tacked on at the end of this thing. And so if they can eat $63 million of that now and get that off the books and clear it so that they have a little bit more flexibility down on the back end of this contract and they're not kicking so much money into voided years that may never actually be years that he's, he's actually on, on the team with you, that's huge. That is huge. I think it has to be a priority to not restructure or reneg- restructure or rework Deshaun's contract this offseason, which Andrew Barry mentioned to the Athletic uh, last month that it doesn't necessarily have to be a priority for them to 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 rework his deal, and I think that's the right stance to have at this point. If they can clear some of that and rework some other guys' contracts, I think that's the the route that you got to take if you're Cleveland. Now you could argue the opposite that because the 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 cap jumped to what it is, maybe this actually gives them a chance to rework his deal a little bit more because you don't if it's going to be 3 or 255 it's not going backwards anytime soon so it's only going to be higher in those voided years and you have more flexibility down the line to eat that money and this is the thing with all of this stuff like Andrew Brandt who is a former NFL executive himself he put out a tweet 
that I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying he's completely wrong here, but I just think like he's he's misguided in the way that this stuff works today. I, I, I'm not saying he doesn't understand it. I'm just saying. Let me read you the tweet first. Always confusion about NFL cap pushouts and management. I'll always say what I always say. It doesn't take a cap wizard to push out millions of cap expenses to the future. That is not all that hard to do. It takes a cap wizard to ensure that you don't have to do that. And listen, I understand his point. In a perfect world, if you have the world's best GM ever, and he's able to make it so that all his contracts, and I don't know how you even do this in 2024 when the the, the prices of these players just balloon and continue to balloon, and it's just these massive hits after massive hits. If and I don't know, maybe I'm missing. There's teams out there that 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 aren't even stra- cap strapped when they have these big contracts in the books. I, I, maybe I need to look into that more. But I just think like this is life in the NFL as a GM today. Andrew Barry has been to this point. I'm going to use the word wizard, even though Andrew Brandt frowns upon it. And the way that he has negotiated these deals and worked these deals and reworked these deals in order to kick money down the line later and understand that on the back end, yeah, they'll have to pay this money when the guy's no longer on the team, but if the cap keeps going up, who cares? Now, I don't know that he prognosticated, Barry that is, or knew that it was going to jump to 255. The initial estimation was 243. And so, on some level, like, I, I don't know that he knew it was going to be as as high, as high as it was, but this is obviously a blessing for the Browns and that it gives them more flexibility to do more things or not do more things, depending on what their sort of goals are moving forward. But knowing that's going to balloon that far, this is, like, Andrew Brandt can call out GMs who kick can- the can down the line or tack on voided years to contracts if he so chooses, but to me, this is the cost of doing business in the NFL today. Sure, it's not that easy to rework deals and move money down further down the line. But guess what? Andrew Barry doesn't even know if he's going to be here to see the tail end of those deals. I'm imagining that he's thinking he will be, but if things really went south for the Browns in the next couple of years and Deshaun Watson never pans out to be the, the quarterback that they thought he was, who's to say that? Andrew Barry isn't looking for another job in two years before the end of the Deshaun Watson contract. You never know. And so that's not even his problem anymore. And even if it is his problem, again, here's the thing. The salary cap is not a myth, as some people like to say, but the salary cap does go up exponentially every year. To see it jump to $30 million going into 2024, it benefits every team, yes, but a team like Cleveland that is up against the cap and has a very expensive roster as is that they're trying to navigate. I mean, this is like winning the lottery today for them. To have it balloon to a higher figure than anybody ever imagined is going to have massive implications for what they want to do this offseason. And no matter what Andrew Brandt or others might say, just because Andrew Barry hasn't kept all his contracts under the parameters of the salary cap every single year, and he's had to resort to kicking money down the line, I still think he's pretty damn savvy for doing it because this is, to me, this is what it takes to be a savvy GM. It takes understanding, well, here's how much we think the cap's going to go up next year. So how much money can we afford to kick down the line and still be able to do what we want to do year in and year out? And that's what he's setting the stage for. 
I think Andrew Barry's done a pretty damn good job. And my hope, dearly, desperately, as we all still have some lingering questions, and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you call in and tell me, what are you talking about? Deshaun Watson, the best quarterback we've had. Listen, yes, on paper, based on what he did when he was in Houston and, and what we thought he, w- he was going to be here, yes, Deshaun Watson should be the best quarterback Cleveland's had maybe ever, if not since Bernie Kosar. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't have some doubts at this point, I think you're just living in denial. He's coming off the shoulder injury. We haven't seen him be that player yet. If you tell me that like what we've seen the, the first two years of Deshaun, if you get that the next three, and, and you're telling me like that's enough for you to be like, yeah, this deal is worth it, then you're out of your damn mind. So in a year where we have questions, all of us, I would say, about Deshaun Watson, and whether or not he's going to ever get back to that, I'm not saying he can't win games, but if he's going to get back to that guy, I think the Browns absolutely positively, with the news today on what the cap's going to look like, have to eat whatever the, the, the what the salary cap figure is for Deshaun Watson at $63 million. 216-474-92. Your salary cap uh, vibe check from the Cleveland Browns fan base here tonight as we dive into this a little bit more when we get back. Also, guys, uh, conversation from Afternoon Drive got me thinking. Those QBs in this economy... We'll talk about all that more coming up. We got John Dawson in about 45 minutes. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German with you on 92 Through the Fan. All right, hold on. I, I got to put everything on pause for this discussion here real quick because... Uh, and, and I'm not I'm not offended at all. Like I don't care what people say. I get I get this all the time. But I was talking to Mackenzie during the break because somebody called in at the very end of the segment. And I was and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, people are calling in, we'll get some calls here. And again, if you want to call in, 216-474-0092 or on Twitter at Spencito underscore. You can hit me up there. John Doss said to join us in 40 minutes. But um I was thinking, like, okay, cool, I'll have a caller to start the next segment. Great. She tells me that this caller was just calling in and asking why I'm yelling. That was all he said. Why, why is this guy yelling? And two things. First of all, I think that people mistake in just my normal voice for yelling. Because I know when I'm yelling, I think Jax has been here when I've yelled before about certain things with people. Were you here that night when that guy called in? And he, no. uh, he, he, he said, you must not... You must not watch a lot of sports. Yeah, if you don't, no, I yeah. was here the day after, though, and you oh, were talking okay. about it. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was you on the board. But, yeah, I, 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 there's definitely moments where, like, the fire gets lit, and I'm, and I'm here screaming into the microphone. So that's the first thing. Like, I know the difference between me yelling versus me just talking normally. I think I just have a very loud voice, and I project. I'm sorry. I will keep the microphone further away from my mouth next time, if, that, if that'll make you feel better. I didn't realize that at 7.15, people were trying to listen to sports radio and go to sleep to it. So... If you need me to whisper, if you need me to talk in the voice that I talk to my son when I'm reading him a, a bedtime story, I will do that. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm being so loud that I'm keeping your entire house awake. But the second thing is, why is it that I continue to get people calling me, tweeting me, asking why I'm yelling all the time, and then when Ken Carmen is blowing a blood vessel on the morning with Anthony... Everybody loves it, and and they're like, oh, Ken getting worked into a shoot. That's my favorite kind of Ken. I don't understand. And it's not a shot of Ken. 
I love Ken. Ken does a great job. Him and Lima, when they get into those debates, I find myself laughing my ass off just like you. But I just don't understand what the double standard is where Ken can get away with yelling and you guys think it's the most entertaining thing in the world. But then I start a show with a voice that just is, I guess, loud to people and it seems like yelling and everybody's uh, mad about it and they think that I'm being too loud. Just explain it to me. Make it make sense. That's all I'm saying. I don't begrudge anybody who wants to yell and get fired up about uh, these topics. That's what we're here to do. We're here to entertain. And us getting uh, revved up about some sort of sports conversation is what makes it fun to do this job at times. With that said, with that now put to bed, to what, well, I guess I need to talk softer to put it to bed, but 216-474-0092 on X at Spencito underscore. Uh, we're... Uh, where are you guys at with the uh, the vibes surrounding today's news about the salary cap jumping to 255? Because I understand, again, where Andrew Brandt's coming from when he says it takes a, a, a cap or a, a front office wizard to not get to a point where you're kicking money down the line. And we're seeing this with the Saints right now. Like, they're still paying this, this bill for Drew Brees, he's, who's no longer on the team, right? And that's sort of has them stuck in some ways and things that they can do. But like I, I, because the cap goes up so massively year over year, exponentially year over year, this year was the largest jump that we've seen in salary cap history, $30 million. And I'm not saying it's going to go up by that much every single year, nor should anybody assume that it's going to go up by that much every single year. But just for a, a, a quick look at the history of this thing, this year it goes up by $30 million. Last year was $16 million. 2022 was $25 million. Now, 2021 was, was minus $15 million, but that was obviously because of the COVID stuff. Before that, it was going up a steady amount of like $10 to $11 million a year. And it, the last time it was less than $10 million a year was 2014. It went up by, by $9 million. There was another year in, 20, in 2006 where it jumped to... 16 million, that might have been a TV contract year where you got this influx of money coming in. And obviously, the 30 million this year, the NFL explained it. It had a lot to do with the money that was reserved or uh, pulled back during the COVID year. And on top of that, just an interjection of the media rights fees that were sort of coming due here. And, 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 and that allows them to increase it by this, this crazy amount. So, 30 million shouldn't be the expectation year after year. No. But is there, is it likely that it's going to jump somewhere between 10 to 15 or even 10 to between 10 and 20 million next year again? Probably because all the, all we see from this league is the money goes up, up, up. And so I think it's less about being a GM who keeps everything under the salary cap for a, in, in any given year. And it's more about, okay, you've put your your team in the situation where they got to pay out this money late in voided years or whatever it might be. How do you navigate things once you get to that point? But I, I like we didn't used to see this type of stuff with contracts. We didn't used to see voided years and pushing money down until later on. And this is kind of a newer phenomenon in that way. Like over the last decade plus, we've seen this uptick in these these type this types these types of restructures where that that happens. And so, like, I, I can't sit here and say that what Andrew Barry is doing isn't 
some sort of mastery. Like it, it to me, it feels like he's doing what the modern day NFL asks for, and how he gets out of that is is what I'm intrigued to see on the back end of some of these contracts and the back end of some of these deals. That's more important to me, improving whether or not he's some savvy cap guy or some savvy GM than whether or not he keeps, he he doesn't have to do that to keep his team under the salary cap every single year. I just think like Andrew Brandt comes from a, a, an era where that wasn't happening quite as much. And now it is. Every team is doing stuff like this. Every team is adding voided years. Every team is turning base salary into signing bonus so they can spread it out over the length of the contract. It's just par for the course in today's NFL. And honestly, if to me, if you're not utilizing that tool in your toolbox, if you're not pulling the lever where you tack on voided years and you try to move some of this money around and create space now and worry about that later, then I honestly feel like you're doing your team a disservice, especially if you're a contending team. I'm not saying a team like the Panthers who are in rebuild right now, hoping that Bryce Young pans out as a franchise quarterback are doing stuff like this. Or the Bears right now are doing stuff like this as they ponder whether or not they want to even pay out a big contract to their quarterback or just draft a rookie. I'm not saying those are the teams that are doing this, but a team like the Browns, Cleveland, is in a situation right now where they are trying to win now and worry about what's down the line when it comes down the line. If you know the cap's going to go up exponentially year after year, you can kind of get away with at least kicking some money down, especially if you know the player's going to be under contract for several more years to come. Deshaun's a big question mark. But I think that this news today on the cap ballooning to $255 million means without a doubt, you gotta pay. You gotta just eat the sixty-three million on his contract this year. Has to be done because it frees you up in the later years of this deal to have a little bit more flexibility. If they gotta renegotiate or if they gotta rework it next year and move some money down in avoided years, fine. That that's totally fine. But it's one less year that you're doing that, and it eats a big chunk out of this deal in a year where we have so much still to see from him to find out if he is the player that they signed up for. And don't act like there's not still questions there. There's still so many questions there. That Sam Monson of PFF who was on with uh, Ken and JP this morning flat out said that Deshaun Watson has been bad. We're going to play you this audio coming up here in a little bit. Um, I'm not quite... You know what? We'll probably... We'll go to this next segment. I will play you this audio coming up next segment of Sam Monson talking about Deshaun Watson just being flat out bad. I also want to play you this I found interesting in the conversation about Deshaun Watson because I have been preaching that part of the issue with Deshaun right now and Kevin Stefanski is I don't know that what Kevin Stefanski wants to do matches with the playing style that Deshaun Watson wants to play in. He likes that free-flowing style where it's not the scripted stuff. Where it's not the scripted stuff and it's not on schedule and he can just kind of 
freely figure out what he wants to do and play without the structure of some of these things. I I I think him admitting that he doesn't like the structured plays is kind of a uh, a, a a hint at that. I think the fact that we were told this offense was going to be built to the liking of Deshaun Watson this year, and then there were still some growing pains that were going on in it, and now you're seeing them hire a, a new offensive coordinator to get a fresh perspective and get some new ideas in here. I mean, I have flat out asked the question myself if Desha- if, if Deshaun Watson was not a good fit for what Kevin Stefanski's offense calls for, why did they force him into this, this scheme and this offense with considering that what Kevin Stefanski does best is play calling, and that's what you brought him here to do. That is a very perplexing question that I've had all offseason so far, and I continue to ponder over. So I was fascinated today to hear Sam Monson say this about the relationship between Deshaun Watson and the Browns and what they're trying to do offensively. No, not I, I don't think this is a schematic problem, and I think this is why it's an issue. I, I don't think this is a case of, you know, Deshaun Watson has been plugged is a is a square peg being plugged into a round hole and the situation from a is somebody else's fault. You know, they're they're trying to do things that aren't uh, suited to what he does best. They're they're just trying to make him work in an offense that doesn't make sense for him. I think he simply hasn't been anywhere near the player that he was previously that they thought they were trading for him. You know, you you can it's very difficult to find any kind of statistical number that suggests that he's been even vaguely the same type of quarterback. I, I think there's maybe ways that they could tweak the offense to move in his direction a little bit, but ultimately, like, they need him to take massive steps forward independent of that. Sam Monson, PFF, he was on with Ken and JP this morning. Two things can be true. Deshaun Watson can be playing some not great football and not be the player that the Browns signed up for when they traded for him. And... The Browns could he he could also be trying to function in an offense that isn't necessarily the right fit for him, and I think that's that's what we're dealing with here. I think yes, he could be better even in the scheme that Kevin Stefanski is running, but based on what we saw, where we saw Joe Flacco thrive in this offense and be in sync with his receivers with this timing and rhythmic offense that that Kevin Stefanski likes to run the West Coast system and drop back play action heavy and throw, for him to be as successful as he was, I don't want to do the Deshaun versus Joe Flacco thing and like, oh, who should be better? But Sam Monson did talk about that, where it was like Joe Flacco coming in is kind of an indictment on the fact, and we'll play that clip again coming back next segment, but it is kind of an indictment on like just this whole setup right now. Not Deshaun Watson specifically, but it's an indictment on are you doing the right things for this this player? They said they were. They said they were building an offense to his liking. But I just, if he's going to come out and say that he doesn't like the structured plays and the scripted plays at the beginning of games, I got to think, and Mary Kay Cabot's talked about this, others have talked about this, he likes to go off script and be, be sort of free to freelance and do what he needs to do to make plays. And I think that's the, that's the important thing to remember with Deshaun. That's not what Kevin Stefanski's offense to this point through four years being here has called for. So I don't know if I agree with Sam on that. I, I, I think that, yes, he could be better, but I also think that there's room to, to sort of sit here and analyze the thing and say, maybe they're not the right fit, and that's why I think Ken Dorsey's coming here. Not that Kevin Stefanski's a bad coach and that he doesn't know how to utilize Deshaun Watson. I just think 
they need to go even further. If you're trying to find a, the middle ground on this thing, like, do you just cater everything to Deshaun or do you do what Kevin Stefanski does best? I think you're trying to go even further down the, the, the scale here towards do what's going to make Deshaun the be, the most successful. 216-474-0092. Is, Deshaun is Deshaun's play to this point just about him not playing well or is it that he's not playing well and it's just not really a schematic fit with the way he with the way they're doing things in Cleveland right now? 216-474-0092. We'll keep the conversation going. We'll play you another clip from Sam Monson's interview on the morning show when we get back right here on The Fan. But I think it's a little bit of both. I I, I really do, I, which is why I think Ken Dorsey is brought in here to try to help fix uh, or get more out of Deshaun Watson and, and help the offense even further lean. Again, I, I use the, the 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 sort of sliding scale here. Like if you have a, a, a timeline in front of you and there's one side is run Kevin Stefanski's offense how he fully wants to run it and run towards more Deshaun. I think they tried to find the happy medium between the two. I think it's got to go further to the other side of whatever Deshaun, whatever's going to make Deshaun successful. That's the thing that we need to do. And him talking about not liking scripted plays, like he's a completely different player than I think what Kevin Stefanski's offense is built ideally for. And so they have to find a way to make that work. Again, that's why there's some fresh perspective coming in with the guys that they brought in this offseason. 216-474-0092. Um, the Cleveland sports scene can change in an instant. Follow each team in the Odyssey app to get all the audio pushed right to your phone. Plus, check out the chapters of live shows labeled by our producers so you can search for segments that you may have missed. Download the Odyssey app to follow the Cleveland sports scene. 216-474-0092 on Twitter. At Spencito underscore, if you want to get involved in the show at all, starting with some Browns conversations here. Uh, we will talk to John Doss, News Channel 5, coming up at 8. Cavs game just got going about 50 seconds ago. It's a 2-2 game as we speak. We'll keep an eye on that for you the rest of the night. They're in Philly. This is the game that uh, people were sort of waiting to see how the Cavs play. This is the, the second night of a back-to-back how are they going to respond? How are they going to play after last night's loss? And we'll sort of see how it goes. So we'll keep an eye on that for you throughout the rest of the game. And we'll obviously have reactions to it in uh, in real time as well as things kind of unfold from Philly. And obviously no Donovan Mitchell in the lineup again tonight as well. So I do want to make that clear that it's the shorthanded Cavs again. Speaking of the shorthanded Cavs, by the way, I got a rant that I got to get off my chest later in the show about that. Just like every time this team loses, there's, I think there's a really lazy take that people have when they, when they lose without Donovan Mitchell and it drives me nuts. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but to go back to the Deshaun Watson conversation here, let's welcome in Justin. What's going on, Justin? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for the call. Yeah, man. What's up? Yeah, so I think it's uh, a little bit of both. I think it is a Deshaun problem, and I think it is a schematic problem. Um, I think it's easy to see that, you know, going back the last two years, Deshaun Watson is just not seeing the field good enough. Yeah. And I think that's easy to see. He's he's uh, too late on his reads. But also, I feel like from Deshaun to Joe Flacco, I think we had two totally different route tree concepts. I feel like with Deshaun uh, with, with uh, Watson, a lot of our stuff was more downfield and not um, below the first down marker. I feel like with Joe Flacco, Stefanski made it a lot easier for him to 
uh, read, and maybe he just reads the offense better than Watson. I, I just I'll, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit, Justin, because Joe Flacco's greatest strength really was like just airing it out down the field. I mean, how many games was he sort of you know tossing these deep these beautiful deep balls to Amari Cooper and and looking downfield? I, I think the route co- concepts were similar. I think there were, to your point, I think there were some things that changed. I, I don't think they, I think they went away from using Elijah Moore as kind of this gadget player, and they started getting him more involved in some of the route tree down the field stuff and over the middle. And I also think Joe Flacco was actually seeing him better and hitting him in stride like he should. And the mm-hmm. other big change, obviously, was just that Joe Flacco was like, you, you went away from any of the any of the concepts you had with Deshaun Watson that were RPO and quarterback runs, you went away from all that just to make it a straight-up, like, drop-back, play-action-pass offense, which is the base of what Kevin Stefanski wants to do anyway. And you still right. saw some of that with Deshaun, but there was less. But, yeah, I, I to your point, there were some there were obviously some changes because they're two stylistically different players. But I do yeah. think that um, some of this stuff was just the same, and it was just about, like you said, Deshaun not seeing the field well or not seeing his guys, and that's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. He just needs to get uh, better at seeing the field. He needs to be more confident in his decision making. If that if uh, that decision making doesn't get better, then it doesn't matter what Kevin Stefanski gives him. Yeah, that's a good point, Justin. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks for calling in tonight. And and, and then that's the thing: we get these callers sometimes who are just so deep in, and I I don't know. I I guess it's being blinded by your fandom or something like that. Like you want to believe wholeheartedly that. Deshaun Watson is the franchise quarterback that this team signed up for, and they point to the record and they say he was five and one, technically five and one, but he, I mean, the Colts game he really contributed barely to four and one last year, same record as Joe Flacco. Like, why doesn't he get more credit? I'm willing to give him credit for winning winning those games. All right, I'm willing to sit here and say yes, Deshaun Watson played good enough quarterback to win games for this team last year. That Ravens game was special. What he did in the second half, special. We thought he was finally turning the corner. The injury was unfortunate, and it was unfortunate timing most of all. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like if we're talking about the same Deshaun we've seen these first two years by year five of this deal, that that's what the Browns signed up for. And just have like the 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 cloth pulled over my eyes and act like that that's that's enough. Like, yeah, the wins are great, and that's the that's the bottom line. That's the thing that you want. With with any quarterback is to win games, right? If you're doing that, fine. But you didn't trade three first round picks, give him this fully guaranteed. And I don't care so much about the money, but you do use this stuff to kind of measure, like, okay, he's being paid like a top ten quarterback. You're expecting him to play like a top ten quarterback. At least the team is. Whether or not it's our money and we care if it comes out of our pocket or not, because it doesn't. You're still paying him like a top ten quarterback. So. You want like the team wants to see him get to that point, and they expect him to get to that point. If in five, if in three more years we're still talking about the same stuff we're talking about now, then I think we're all we're all going to have to admit that this deal just wasn't worth it. But I I feel like there's people who are just in denial right now. We can't possibly sit here this offseason and be like, oh yeah, I'm convinced he's he's a better quarterback than X Y Z guy. Like, th- there's no evidence of that to this point, and it's why people like Sam Monson are calling in and asking the question of not calling in but coming on as a guest and saying. Do we know he's ever going to get back to that? Is that guy still in there? I think it is to some level. I think he can still get back to being a top 10 guy. It's not hard to be like the bottom part of the top 10. I don't know if he would be a top five or top three guy again like he was, but I think he can be a top 10 quarterback in this league. And if you get that, then I'll be willing to sit here and say it was worth it. But we don't know that yet. 
And I think the scheme fit with the quarterback and the player himself is one of the big question marks we have about this this current setup and part of the reason why you got new faces in here like Ken Dorsey. Let's go to Sean in Cleveland. What's up, Sean? What's going on, man? Good show tonight. Thank you. Appreciate you. What, what's, uh, what's up? I, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff you say, but I, want to, I got two points. Um, one, scheme versus the player. I think it's hard to judge the player if the scheme doesn't fit the player. And so I think – Flacco actually was uh, was an amazing grace for Cleveland because it kind of identified that the scheme doesn't fit the player. For a guy to step in, and then you look at Kevin Stefanski's history and you look at the quarterbacks he's been successful with, they're more in the Flacco-type mode. Um, I think Alex Van Pelt wasn't fired, I think, so to speak, but I think it was more like, Kevin doesn't have anybody that he can throw ideals against that say, no, that doesn't work for Deshaun because Van Pelt is in the same mode as Stefanski. So they're sitting having conversations on how to get the offense going with Deshaun, and they're saying they're constantly telling each other Deshaun just has to play better, yeah. right, so we don't get a fix. Secondly, the hype about Flacco and Deshaun. Flacco was able to be successful simply because pressure. $230 million of pressure wasn't on them. Flacco can go out there and play with house money, take shots on ball. And Deshaun, quite honestly, pressure was getting to him. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do per- be too perfect. So yeah. the reads were late. Things weren't happening that he's typical of happening. Uh, and if you recall, when his rookie year started, he started off kind of rough. And then they changed the offense in Houston. Yeah. And things started to change for him yeah, there, too. I do remember that, yes. Well, and, and Sean, yeah. I, I, I think you're spot on with uh, the pressure thing. And I don't even know if pressure – maybe pressure is not the right word, but I just think there's something between the ears with Deshaun where where he wants to – he wants to get it all back at once. He wants, yes. like, a deep ball to Amari Cooper for a touchdown 60-yard bomb, and then everybody just forgives him for all the off-the-field stuff. And everybody says, starts saying, like, okay, he's a great quarterback again. And it's not that simple. So, yeah, like, I think he was over-processing. I think he was thinking too much. And, and that's not yeah. how you want your quarterback to be able to play. I think that's a very valid point. And so, like, I, I, I was excited about the Van Pelt. I didn't blame Van Pelt for anything. Obviously, the offense played better towards the end of the season. But it just – that show, you never think, like, being good yeah. and better make calls for change. But that show, like, it wasn't game planning for Deshaun Watson. And you said something earlier, and I'll leave with this. When you adjust your offense for Elijah Moore, but not Deshaun Watson, we have a problem. Mm. All right, Sean, I appreciate the call, my friend. Thank you very much for jumping in. We do have to take a break as we're right up against it. When we get back, we'll talk to John Doss, News Channel 5. We'll talk Browns with him. We'll talk some Cavs with him. Because like I said, he apparently has some stuff to get off his chest about Darius Garland. All that and more. Coming your way next, first hour of Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin in the books here on a Friday, a hot take Friday. It's Spencer Jermaine with you on The Fan.